The Boise Bubble Podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. Hello, friends. Is buying a new car a frightening prospect for you? Creeped out by blood-sucking dealerships with hordes of zombie salespeople looking to feed on your wallet? Well, you can find shelter from the cold, dark night of car buying with our friends at Volkswagen of Boise. Transparent pricing, no monstrous add-ons, and a great in-stock selection of reliable vehicles that will get you to the safety of a bright and hopeful dawn. Volkswagen, engineered to be not scary. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things Treasure Valley. We're your hosts, Shane and Natalie Plummer. Welcome back to the conversation. Welcome back, friends, and welcome guests to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming today as we go into the fall season and the holidays. Halloween is one of my favorite holidays, and we thought that we'd get everybody excited by sharing something spooky, unique to the tre- to the Treasure Valley. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking... All things old penitentiary. <laughs> I'm very excited. This is this is a, an interesting part of Boise culture. I, not a lot of people know a lot about it, though, but I know that there's a fascination. So we brought our guests in um, to kind of tell us a little bit about it. Yep. Uh, so today with us, we have Anthony Perry and Sky Cranny, both with the Idaho State Historical Society, and they have their own podcast, Behind Gray Walls. So let's start with... Um, what you guys do for a day job, and then we'll talk about the podcast. You guys are historians, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what compels somebody to go into history? Uh, and then how do you find a career in history? We were talking about this before mm-hmm. the podcast. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with it? Uh, that's, that's, I mean, sort of the million-dollar question. So I'm actually, my day job is not the same as Anthony's. Um, I'm basically a part-time research specialist with the State Historical Society, and then I'm a full-time PhD student in history. Um, so when you go, at least in the academic route, I guess, um, you can uh, often get a job uh, in academia. So you go to, you know, work in colleges and do research and stuff like that. Um I will say that unless you basically go to an Ivy League, it's going to be really tough just because, you know, working in academia is a a job you can do until the day that you die. And so there are very few positions that open up. And so a lot of uh, academic historians are really having to think creatively and find new ways to uh, to look for jobs because they're just academia is, you know, when you pump out thousands of graduates every year and maybe 100 open up you know, per year, it just is not possible. So for, you know, for me, you can do um, public history is because of my work that I've done with the State Historical Society and the podcast. Um, I have a good foot in the door there, but you can do, you can work at um, museums, you can work at archives, um, and every once in a while you have to get sort of specialized degrees for that. But um, you can work in the city, you can work for the government, um, because history teaches you how to take sources and analyze them and then make meaning of them. And so like the FBI, actually I have a friend who works, uh, in, in the FBI and that's exactly what she does is they give her a bunch of information and they say like, look through this, find what's important and like, give us a report back. And that's exactly what you do in history. So for me, that's, uh, that's where I'm leaning is public history, looking at historic sites and, 
um, you know, interpreting the information, you know, piles of information that we have in the archives. So that's what I do. Anthony, um, you know, was lucky and he found a job without having to do (laughs) the lots of years of school. So listening to you talk. I'm so grateful that there are people like you that love doing what you do. (laughs) (laughs) That would be hard for me, a struggle. Anthony, how did you find your way to the Historical Society? You know, it was uh, happenstance, really. Like, I came out of the College of Idaho, and I got a job working, helping archive documents for the city of Boise, the Arts and History Department. And I love that department. And the sesquicentennial came around the 150-year anniversary of the city in 2013. And so I was actually the shopkeeper there at the Sesqua shop right here on Main Street in downtown Boise. And I basically for a whole year, every month, I helped uh, research and put up whole new exhibits. So I had a year of learning how to research and interpret and write and display exhibits. And so it was it was this amazing thing to happen. And then right after that ended, 2014, I was looking for a job. There's an opening at the old Idaho Penitentiary and interpretive, uh, oh no, I was customer service rep. So I was like, oh, great. I'll work the front desk at a historic site. That'll be fun. And I just, you know, I had a lot of off time where I wasn't helping customers and started digging into stories and just slowly worked, I worked my way into developing all kinds of uh, exhibits and research and kind of worked my way up into this position just from loving it so much. Just sounds like by geeking out, geeking out at work. Geeking out, yeah. Led to new job opportunities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel like there's a lesson in that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just going fully in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Anthony, how long did it take you to figure out what your job title was just now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'd say just a couple of minutes. Yeah, sure. That was just like, I can find it. I know it. So you did, uh, did we figure out what you're technically called? You're the research and education coordinator. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, now you know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it took a, a whole different podcast it's, to yeah. get that figured out. So you're, you're doing this and then, okay, so you have this podcast now. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know, what, how did this come to be? What's it about? Mm-hmm. Tell us yeah. all the things. Yeah, so um, my big project, so in between my master's and my PhD, I did a full year out at the Penn. I had previously like, interned there um, after my bachelor's and stuff. And uh, the big project that they gave me was to research and write one-page biographies for all 216 female inmates that had um, stayed out there. Um, and as, you know, one page is not a lot. Usually you can get their crime a little bit of what happened before they came in, maybe a little bit what happened after, but not you couldn't fit i kept finding all these details that i was like this is so interesting and and i found that their their crimes uh was just it was such a small part of the story and that they as people were so much more interesting to be quite honest and so i remember going to anthony and saying like anthony like we should do a podcast this would be really cool um and it was mostly because i just thought especially the women, because um, the hardest part about the penitentiary site is that the women's ward is outside of the main uh, penitentiary. And so unless you know it's there, you d- like people just don't really go into it. And like on the tours that we give, people don't really talk about it. And so for me especially, I was like, these women deserve to have their stories told. Um, and that was really my main goal for it, is I wanted to tell their stories. And, and of course, we had so many more men that, you know, even the average person who was in for like forgery, you know, I found people who like ended up committing murder before they forged and stuff and, um, or, you know, just, uh, had very interesting stories in, in different ways. And so I went to Anthony and I was like, we should really try to do this. And 
How long do you think it took from conception to actually getting it out? I'd say I feel like that night I went home and started plucking out some banjo like theme <laughs> song and then we I don't know developed it over probably a month and then recorded an episode and then had to bring it in front of our director and our board of trustees and they said you did this you know they were like what wow and so yeah from what July of 2019 mm-hmm. uh, till now tell just- people what was the topic or the theme of the first episode the one that you pitched to your bosses to say this is a great idea. Listen to this. Uh, was that the Patrick Murphy? Uh, or th- no, it was us. Uh, I think we did. Me. Yeah, we did our like sort of our two biggest male and female inmates. Mm-hmm. We did Lida Southard, who she was known as uh, Idaho's Lady Bluebeard. She basically poisoned at least four of her husbands. Um, and then we did uh, Ray Snowden, who was the last man to be executed at the site. And that was what we we ended up, I think, publishing that as the 10th episode in the season. But I think that was what we pitched. Yeah. Wow. Start strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, I may have heard you wrong, but did you say that they were putting people in the penitentiary for forgery? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What? Women especially. I would say 40 to 50 of the percent of the female inmates were in for forgery or like check-related crimes. Dang, life was hard back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about a small margin of error. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I think for that, I mean, that's... It's prison. Like, how long were they in prison at this for forgery? I mean, is this just a short stint or? The standard sentence was one to 14 years. Um, oh. And then it depended on basically if they were sort of a serial forger or not. Like, oh. if it was a lot of times the women who forged would be in for like 10 to 12 months. They serve their minimum and get out. But if there were serial forgers or someone who had like forged, but they had done additional crimes before that or had been, they forged um, and that like broke their parole, then they may stay a little bit longer. I don't think anyone ever stayed the full 14 for forgery that I know of. Yeah, not definitely not first timers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. So it seems like there's a lot of investment in the penitentiary from the historical society. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's, because I feel like you hear about the penitentiary all the time. There's so many events. I mean, we could do a whole yeah. podcast just on the events you do, mm-hmm. which maybe we should, but uh, <laughs> there's, is there just, did people just love hearing about it? What, what, what's the reason between behind the push, oh, I guess? It's so unique. It's, mm-hmm. you know, a historic prison in downtown Boise. Mm-hmm. It's, we just get so many visitors internationally, nationally, every day so let me put you on the spot give the people a brief two-minute summary on the penitentiary all right (laughs) well briefly uh, it was active between 1872 and 1973 over 13,000 men uh, and 216 women who were incarcerated there and the site was mostly constructed by prisoners themselves it was developed because of the natural table the sand rock near table rock so the prisoners were actually quarrying that stone and bringing it down, hand chiseling it, and building the walls around them. Um, they raised their own food. They raised, you know, pigs, cattle, raised uh, orchards and uh, vegetables, canned their own food. Come uh, almost entirely self-sustaining, and they were actually sending food out to other state sites like uh, Industrial School in Saint Anthony and uh, the Mental, uh, what is that, the, the State Hospital yeah. South and Blackfoot, and yeah. So the prisoners were. They were doing a lot of work. Uh, wow. Yeah. 
man, historians are so cool. You just busted out some history <laughs> like that on the spot. You threw out some specific statistics. I'm impressed. Yeah, he's a historian. That's what they do. Um, all right. Well, that was very, that's amazing. I actually didn't realize that. Can you imagine you're chiseling the stone for your own incarceration? That's like a level of Dante's hell. I think no, I'm just going to add it That's, that's really interesting. So it's it's pretty preser- preserved. I mean, so people are coming and they're touring. Um, so what are some of the events that kind of bring people in to the penitentiary that you get excited about? Well, definitely uh, Halloween. We have Frightened Felons, which is, it's just basically a giant Halloween party throughout the sites. We have, you know, I have my historical thing. I'm giving presentations and kind of talk on the ghost stories. But then we have a haunted house in Four House. Mm-hmm up on the third and fourth tier of the cell house that nobody usually has access to. We have uh, volunteers who come and, and act and portray themselves as former prisoners. And so, uh, and then we have like scavenger hunts, costume contests, all kinds of things going on over two nights. It's, that's my favorite, but it's so much work, but it's so much fun. So. And when is that this year? Do you know? Uh, October 29th and 30th. So okay. it's always that Friday, Saturday, right around Halloween. And those tickets sell out pretty quickly because it's kind of everyone's favorite. Yeah. You know, everyone wants to be in a spooky old prison around Halloween. I've tried for many years. (laughs) Maybe this year. This was my year. Oh, awesome. So, okay. So you're, you're working there. You're, you're fulfilling this need from people to kind of see this historical uh, prison and you start a podcast. So tell us what that journey has been like of just of creating this and I guess the, obviously, people really enjoy it. You hear about this podcast. People, you have a cult following, a cult following, which is pretty cool. Are you um, talking I to just, our parents? No, <laughs> yeah, I just I keep hearing about it. I'm like, I think because there's there's podcasts that are like, uh, you know, murder based, and there's there's just so many, but there's some there's something very intriguing. And but tell us what your podcast is specifically focused on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really just the inmate stories. Um, one thing that I've really appreciated about uh, what we've been doing at the penitentiary, uh, the time that I was there and since then, and even a little bit before that, is that we're really trying to sort of put the humanity back into the prison. Because I think a lot of times people will come in and say, this was a, a place where, you know, it was such inhumane activities being done to these incarcerated people. And, um and that we have to remember that, like, yes, they were they were in for committing crimes, but they were people at the end of the day. And so um, another project that I worked on, oh, what, I can't ever remember what we call it, the one that's in uh, the... Faces. Faces, thank you. Um, and that was sort of the first, before we even did the podcast, um, we basically took and we wrote sort of one-page biographies for um, inmates on crimes that ranged from... Uh, again, forgery to uh, the more adult crimes like rape and and things like that, and and tried to present it in in ways that were family friendly, but also that were informative and and really gave um, indications. And we we looked at minority inmates, we looked at inmates from across the country, we looked at inmates from across the world, um, and that was the first project that I could see how important that was to to again like put a face to sort of this like larger inhumane sight this just you know it it, there wasn't that to it and so the podcast for me was about bringing those stories to life of we you hear the names and like you hear about you know this woman killed her husband oh isn't that so terrible of her well let's look at the circumstances behind that was it deserved and quote-unquote deserved um you know and, and like what you know 
what was she going through maybe that maybe led her to do this kind of thing? And, and if the motivation was not great, like we see perhaps in Lida's case, then, you know, we can sit here and as historians say like, objectively, that was not good. Um, but we can also look at like the forgery crimes and say like, she wrote that check because her family didn't have food or whatever. And, um, so that was, that's what I have loved about the podcast. And I think that people seem to enjoy is knowing just that backstory, not just the crime. To make them more than just a prisoner. Exactly. I think we're learning as we're moving through some pretty tumultuous times. It's it's very dangerous to just assign someone mm. uh, a title, and but we do that with prisoners. Yeah. Um, so I don't know a lot of the history of the penitentiary. Apparently, it, it's got a darker side. What is it that I guess is kind of kind of defines I guess the penitentiary in uh, its treatment um, of their of the incarcerated people there. To be fair, uh, the Idaho State Penitentiary is actually it's actually fairly humane. Um, I visited some other uh, sites. I've been out to Deer Lodge, Montana, and they pulled out like bazookas during riots and like beat people and pushed them down the stairs. And is like a whole like compared. I always thought we had crazy stories, and then I went to just Deer Lodge, and of course I've been to Alcatraz and I've been to Eastern State. And compared to all of those sites, I think that. the darker side here, you know, just like any other prison, you have sort of the inmate on inmate violence and um, every once in a while you'll get, you know, a, a guard who maybe wasn't the most upstanding of guards or um, some corruption scandals. We see a couple of those with the wardens. Um, and so I think that's where you start to get sort of that darker side is what we tend to associate with prisons. But I th- again, compared, uh, I, I hate to say this because this is what people like bank on us for is that like there's all these like violent things that happened, um, but that we actually are fairly, we only had 110 deaths. 129. 129 deaths. Yeah, that we've confirmed, yeah. In, a, in 101 years. Yeah. So that's. 10, ex- 10 executions out of 101 years mm-hmm. is like, it's minuscule comparatively. Mm-hmm. You know, like look at Texas where that's, that's a month in Texas, mm-hmm. you wow. know, and so. We are not big on capital punishment. And when you were sentenced to the Idaho State Penitentiary, you were sentenced to hard labor and you were expected to work. And if you didn't want to work, you could sit in hard boil, just sit in your cell, put a lock on your door and there you go. Like no fresh air, nothing. Or you can go out and work and then receive that uh, freedom to go out into the yard and go to the rec room and do do other things. So So do you ever talk about the relationships that were made amongst the the inmates? Is that something that's easy for you guys to find out because I would think being in that situation so many interesting stories and then you're working together that uh there's I mean well I guess there's great movies about that kind of thing but did you do you find that in your research about these kind of relationships that are formed yeah on occasion um I'm trying to think like strangely we have a famous burial at the site it's a cat oh no i was gonna ask you about this this is crazy town okay so everyone listen really closely because i read (laughs) an article on this like a month ago and i'm like i have to know more about this okay okay go on yeah so the prison had had a two yard where the botanical gardens now are uh, and there was a little mouser this little cat this little kitten that was over there near the chicken coops and prisoner snuck him into the prison yard and eventually this little cat that they named dennis basically started running the prison. Guards let him go wherever they, he wanted. They would open and unlock cell houses. And, and uh, prisoners, I've, I've heard that they clip notes to his back and he'd go from cell to cell every night. And 
he spent 16 long wonderful years as this living his best life in prison living his best yeah it was it was perfect yeah and after when he died in uh 68 the prisoners actually wrote a two-page obituary about him in their they had their own their own little uh, magazine called the clock this monthly that they would print and produce and write themselves and send it out to their families and other institutions across the country and so that we have a two-page obituary about a cat and it's like that's more than most of the men there like could say about their own lives you know what i mean and let alone this cat who's just beloved isn't there a day celebrating dennis yeah <laughs> Okay, so like, is that something you guys always know? It's like I don't know what it's called. Memorial Day every every year is his yeah is oh, his wow. birthday. So he, he was born Memorial Day 1952, died Memorial Day 1968. That's wow. that's what his gravestone says. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so, so cute. Yeah, we celebrate on Memorial. I don't know Day why that makes me kind of want to cry a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, they had a publication. This mm-hmm. is is that normal for? You know, back in those times, it actually was fairly common. Uh, the bigger state institutions would have those. Um, it it was all based on, you know, the prisoners themselves putting it together and, you know, going to the warden, asking for funds to, to get a mimeograph and get all this, this equipment and then start writing it themselves. And they each, you know, they, they list like who is going around and doing interviews with different prisoners, the, who's the journalist there. And, you know, they'd write short stories and histories. So we have a lot of histories about the pen that the prisoners themselves wrote using documents that like the prison administration would provide them, which is. That's amazing. I've, amazing I've been yeah. wondering, how do you have so much information? Cause yeah. you talk a lot about a lot of prisoners. <laughs> is that where you're getting a lot of this is from their own publication? A lot of the personal stuff is from mm-hmm. that. And then their, their file, cause uh, Idaho, luckily, the Idaho Department of Corrections, since basically the 1860s, has been collecting all of the prisoner files. And we are one of the few states that actually has this. We have prisoner files from 1860 until now, and they are very thorough, and they, they it's everything. It's their intake forms, their Bertillion, all their you know unique measurements, their mug shots, and then letters to and from their families and from businesses from around the world uh, to the warden, you know, at from all all over it's it's really amazing what we have access to hmm. that much information compiled over or for people that are supposed to be in here outside of society for so long that just feels like a historian just Cold va- vacation it's a, it's a dream <laughs> yeah it's, it's really, really nice yeah. Yeah, and we um, have to be conscientious about, yeah. you know, because some of them will say things about their health or uh, FBI files that that we are, aren't allowed to access. So we have to be very uh, careful with how we access these files. Mm. Yeah, but um, it's amazing. Not to be too, you know, mm-hmm. existential, but I'm kind of curious how your perspectives have changed. This idea that I think that most of the world thinks about a prison as a place that's full of villains, mm-hmm. but as you're learning about their their histories, it's not. It's I mean, it is sad that something like a crime defines a person mm-hmm. after the fact, but mm-hmm. how's your vision changed about people or about the penitentiary? Yeah, I mean, I definitely see the penitentiary as a historic site more than just sort of the spooky site to go visit. And and that's not to take away from that aspect of it. Of course, there are spooky things that Anthony and I have experienced separately and together. And um, But yeah, it definitely... Um, I just, I really am gaining an appreciation for what, for every single person that I've researched um, and, and that I am like learning that all it takes is like one mistake for someone like any of us in this room to end up 
you know, where they were. Um, you know, it takes one little mistake um, and, and we're suddenly defined by that. And as humans, you know, we don't want to be defined by our singular mistake. And, you know, thankfully for me, it's never been anything that serious. But, you know, all it takes is, is getting in, you know, touch with the wrong person. Um, and suddenly my life is defined by whatever crime I just committed. And, and so I really... I'm gaining an appreciation for, especially though I'm really connected to the women. That's who I really research the most and um, really gaining an appreciation for them. Um, and just getting to know them as, as humans, even though I've never met them, I feel very close to them. When I worked out at the penitentiary and was working on these biographies, I'd open the women's ward in the morning and I'd say like, hey ladies, like, you know, good, you know, I'm here. i Hope you guys have a good day. Like, and that sounds really weird and funny, but I, there was such a connection that I made with them to recognize their humanity and to learn. It just, it, it, I don't know. It, I really love it. I get really connected to these women and like I defend them almost when like people try to be like, oh, but she did this. And I want to be like, but did you know that in her early life, she actually, you know, didn't grow, have a very good home life and blah, blah, blah. And so yeah, there's like, more to the balance sheet than yeah. just the final verdict. Yeah. Say. Yeah. Um, uh, I just, but it takes a little time. Mm -hmm. It takes more brain space to, to add those mm -hmm. elements to people. And we find that problem on a lot of aspects of, we just, it's easier to add one definition. Mm -hmm. um, I'd be interested to, for the women, mm -hmm. was there someone particular that you, or a few, but is there someone you just like really connected to on a deep level? Yeah. And I, the funny thing is, I don't know why, um, but it would have to be um, Mildred Knox. Um, and I covered her in our season opener of season two. Um, and for some reason, so she, um, her, just a basic rundown of her is she in the Twin Falls area. Um, one night was out at a bar and um, was probably a little bit drunk. There was another guy who was drunk and he pulled out this whole wad of cash that I don't even remember how much it's worth now, but it was worth like thousands of dollars. And he supposedly like gave it to her and was like, here, like hold on to this for safekeeping. And she was like, okay, whatever. And stuck it in her pants pocket and just like went home, forgot to give it back to him. And, um, ended up being he like when he sobered up he was like I gave it to this girl and they found her and like she hadn't hidden the money it was still in her pants pocket and she was just like this is he gave it to me and told me to just like keep it for safekeeping I wasn't going to do anything with it but they arrested her for grand larceny and the thing that I really loved about her was that she had a stepson who I think he had cerebral palsy um and she treated him like a son like it wasn't a stepson situation she like gave her whole heart and soul into like helping him get better and teaching him how to walk and for whatever reason that like really touched me um because that was just that's a story that we even with the women we don't see very often we often think of women in you know 30s 40s 50s as these very maternal figures and that's not to say that they weren't but for whatever reason her story and the way that she connected with this little boy that her her husband it was his son and um even her stepdaughter was like I've never seen him like he hasn't even responded this way to his own mother and she's his stepmother and she just cared so much for this little boy um and I don't know why but that's that's probably one of my favorite stories I just think it's so and that's and that was the story that I think especially that I said like just what we were talking about that she's so defined by this grand larceny but that she had this whole story of like caring for this little boy and helping him get better and that was really what she wanted most in life and she was troubled afterwards she ended up having some some drug problems but she you know even after they were divorced like was really devoted to him and wanted to see him get better and and that was that's probably one of my favorite stories 
So let's pivot a little bit to your podcast. Where in the penitentiary do you podcast? <laughs> so in the J. Curtis Earl, it's a weapons museum that we have, which this, this fellow spent his whole life collecting guns and donated them to the Historical Society before his death in the early 2000s. And so it was like, where are we going to put this giant weapons museum? Well, behind prison walls would be nice and secure. So we have this this museum that's not really connected to the old pen, but it's all within there. And one of the displays is a World War One battle trench. And it's a replica. You can see, you know, you, there's a gun up there. You can, you can fire over this trench across to the enemies and everything else. So we are actually beneath that trench. And it's this tiny little unfinished room that we have blankets hanging up in the walls and <laughs> it was you know it was the one free room we had and there weren't any phones ringing and it was other than people walking through and going bang 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 with that fake gun like it's, it's yeah like you'll that. hear that every once in a while like kids yeah. in the background like screaming we don't have a fancy studio it's but i feel like it almost works with the sort of the the feel of our podcast yeah, where it just yeah. you know the old pen is seen as kind of this like rough and tumble place mm -hmm. and you kind of have to uh, find a way to make it and that was really what we did was we found this little space and it made it work for us so every once in a while if you come to the the j curtis earl you might hear us because i think our voices echo yeah, up yeah out of the out of the foxhole so you might if you're lucky enough you might hear us recording under there and if cool. it's quiet it's because we're about to say something scary yeah. or you know something about a crime a murder or something and uh we're waiting for the little ones to leave yeah. the rooms. So. I'm going to start telling people that's the ghosts <laughs> of the trench. I'm sure you there are people You can hear them telling the stories of the penitentiary. Oh. Let's get that started. Yeah. I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> there are stories about the penitentiary, though. There's like some uh, uh, some creepy things that I do want to get into that. Shane, do you have any questions? About it? Oh, no. Thanks, though. <laughs> Sorry. We're sharing a microphone right now, and it looked like he was going for it. So, um, all right. So, I... I'm interested about some of the, the, the things that pull people in kind of for this. The, there are, have been some kind of interesting things that have happened to the penitentiary. What are some of the things that I guess get people excited or kind of freak people out a little bit? <laughs> yeah. All the uh, paranormal mm -hmm. activity that has occurred there. And yeah, I feel like everybody on staff has had something where it's like, I, I thought I was alone. Yeah. And then you realized, oh, I am alone. Like, I don't know where that noise came from or, yeah, I don't know if Sky is. I, <laughs> uh, so when we had our, we had a couple, so we, I mean, uh, when we had our first live podcast, we gave it, uh, opened up a Q&A and the first <laughs> question was this little boy and he said, is it haunted? Um, and, you know, um, I, it, you know, 13,000 men lived within these walls and, and, you know, we did only have 129 deaths, but, um, it was a place that troubled people went and, you know, whether you believe in spirits or not, there probably is some energy trapped there. Um, yeah, it definitely, Anthony and I uh, had an experience and I, I'm not a paranormal. I don't, it freaks me. I don't watch horror movies. So it's kind of ironic. I work there to some people, but, um, so we were closing up and it had just been a paranormal, um, activity. And so we always say like everything was kind of stirred up. They'd been bothered all night. And so we were closing up and Anthony's all telling me, he's doing very Anthony things where he's telling me this story about how in this one building we were locking up that like, Oh yeah, this guy, you know, he was really despondent and he ended up, you know, cutting his own throat and just bled out here in this doorway. And, as we're talking it sounded like someone picked up a rock and like threw it in the corner of the building like we both heard this rock kind of like hit 
walls and both of us like stopped dead in our tracks and I was like, so let's get out of here yeah. as soon as we can. And uh, I think I actually have like a Snapchat video of me just like front facing, just like, I hate this. Like I hate paranormal activity. I hate feeling like there's something there. And you do kind of get that feeling. The laundry room is the room for whatever reason that kind of spooks me the most. And I don't know why it's just this room um, connected to, it's right next to the uh, weapons exhibit actually. And it's just a room. It's got a big mangler in it. Um, it's got a what? Uh, like big, uh, is <laughs> that, that sounds the washer? I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so they had like a big washing machine. The mangler I think was to dry clothes out. Yeah. And uh, so it's just big machines. But for whatever reason, like if you look every once in a while, we'll have that area open for people to go look at like if we have sort of nighttime events and for whatever reason when I look in it and it's dark I like can't bring myself to go in it there's just something about it that I am not the biggest fan of so I avoid it because I don't need any more experiences how about you you've been there for a while yeah yeah Anthony I, tell us I've had a couple experiences uh, definitely like I remember one day it was during the winter and I was the only staff member like in the administration building Nobody had come in for like an hour and I'm just sitting there and I heard footsteps walking upstairs. And I remember calling up and being like, did somebody come in? I was alone. There was nobody upstairs. And it was like clear footsteps, just boom, 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 walking from one end to the other. And then just a few summers ago, I was closing up Four House, which is one of the most modern cell houses in there. And I popped my head in, I yelled, locking up. And I heard somebody shuffling along and it sounded like they were running their hands along the bars. Just very, it was like, it was there. And I was like, okay, lock it up, you know. And I just kept hearing it. So I walked to the back of the cell house and I get around to the other side and there was nobody there. And my hair stood up immediately and I just was like, oh my God. So I, I ran out and I went back up to the front. I said, did anybody come up here? And they're like, no, you were the only person in the yard. Are you oh. kidding me? Oh. And that. No, thanks. Yeah. 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 And you still work there. <laughs> yeah. That that was, it was like in the middle of the day too. It was like five o'clock, you know, so, so strange. Yeah. And actually this last Halloween, this is one of the scariest things that occurred. We uh, had basically, it was a uh, cell block stroll and we had local organizations come in and decorate these cells and we had candy and little baskets outside of them and everybody got to vote for their favorite spooky cell and we're all just standing there. There are about four of us staff members just watching people, making sure, you know, COVID, we only had so many people in the building at a time and we kind of clean things. And all of a sudden I had music going up on the second floor and I had the keys to go up there. And so I had a, a speaker system, these two giant speakers, and I had a CD player going into this amp. And all of a sudden this song just went full blast. And there were probably 20 of us in this building. And so they all look at me and I'm like, I don't know. That's really weird. So I had to go in, unlock a door, run upstairs. There's nobody up there. It felt like there was wind blowing on me. And I look and they're on the amp and the speaker. They were both turned up full blast. And it was like, oh, my, all of us were so freaked out. You know, just a sudden noise. But then to be in this building and there's nobody up there to do that. And it does that. Like, I, I was pretty shaken up by that. We were all kind of blown away that something like that could happen my and mind so I, is torn because yeah. i think do you look at it like oh man this is great for business <laughs> right. this is gonna be an awesome story or i shouldn't be working here a, this a is some bit, weird stuff a little bit of both that you know and visitors they thought like what are you guys doing you know why are you doing this they didn't realize that we were like <gasps> kind of freaking out ourselves you know and and that's oh, it was a 
the first paranormal uh, experience for a couple of our staff members, and they were like, "There's no way. There's no way." And yeah, and is that like some kind wrong. of like a penitentiary earning your stripes? Once you finally have your first. <laughs> paranormal activity you're one of the group yeah i think yeah. there might be something to it yeah mm. we, we've had like mediums come in and say that because we are telling these individual stories that they aren't going to haunt us or follow us or do much to us you know so i think it's mostly just like little trickstery things and mostly it's been uh, audio like it's mm. it's been here you know walking mm. into a cell house i i actually met a former correctional officer and he's like yeah i was touring the site I walked into maximum security and it sounded like people were keeping jiggers, which is like making noises when an officer comes in. So you put your contraband away, you, you know, stop doing what you're not supposed to do. And he's like, I, I hear this every day. And I walked into five house and I heard, you know, these like noises to like, Hey, put your stuff away. And I, so I looked around thinking, okay, someone's messing with me. And I was the only one in that building. And that like, that really freaked me out. And it was just funny to see this like six two, you know, giant correctional officers telling me the story, how he freaked out hearing this this ghost story. Like, wow. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. So. Uh, my family um, runs the Pendleton Underground. I don't oh. know if you guys have ever been over there. No, it's amazing. So it's just uh, three hours away and it's um, where all the Chinese workers mm -hmm. were, were housed. And also the brothels are part mm -hmm. of it. But it's interesting because I would work sometimes on the tours and we were instructed to greet the spirits mm. to indicate that we ha met no harm. Mm. And it was just so interesting. It was just part of our routine. But they're crazy stories. You guys should go down there. But uh, they're saying, if you see this, and they would tell us who we'd see. Like, mm. if you see this person or if you hear this thing, this is what it means. Don't be afraid. And, of course, <laughs> we're terrified. But uh, it's just, it's interesting just watching this group of people who are used to that experience. And now it's it's just this is, it's like their coworkers. Like we just greet them and we show them respect. I'm like, okay, that's normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's fine. yeah. Do you guys have to make such accommodations for your paranormal uh, housemates? <laughs> no. Okay. I, I don't know if we've had enough regular, because I feel like everyone has had at least one experience, but it's been very distinct. And mm. there's never been one that's like repeated where we've been able to be like, oh, this is probably this person. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. All right. So it's the Halloween season. Creep us out. Make the hair stand up on our oh, heads. Geez. What do you got? That's putting you on the spot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, so there's three house and three house. It's the first building with plumbing is built in the twenties, nineteen twenty seven. They put this up and there were several suicides that occurred in there. And up on the fourth tier, so there there were some major riots that occurred at the prison and on the fourth tier. Can I pause you for a second? Yes, yeah. I feel like you just make it made a correlation between suicide and plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> like, like that's a weird detail, Anthony. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a two house story. Okay. Maybe we should go to pre plumbing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pre -plumbing. Sorry. You There's go. Keep on going. Don't mind me. <laughs> I'm just trying to give any, you <laughs> any version of plumbing, whether it's new or old or buckets yeah. or it happened everywhere, unfortunately. So there's, there's a cell up on the fourth tier we don't really let visitors access it because there's a lot of like graphic language that was spray painted during riots. But up there, there's a cell that was burned out. There's a, a prisoner. He was uh, seen as an informant, a snitch during the 73 riot. And so these guys put some like flammable liquid in his light bulb and in his toilet, hoping when he returned to his cell, why is my light not working? And then it would explode. Well, he wasn't in it when it went off. So he was lucky, but it's it just destroyed and melted like everything in his cell. It's a, it's really scary just looking at that cell, 
And so we had a paranormal investigator who was up there just a few years ago. And a couple cells down from it, there are some, some photos of the band Deep Purple, which is so funny. But just kind of pasted on the back of the cell from, from a newspaper that some prisoner was decorating. And this investigator was like creeped out by this cell a couple away and kind of looking around. She, she sees this deep purple sitting there. She takes her camera and she reaches in as far as she can to snap a photo of deep purple. And as she's doing that, something ran its fingers through her hair and then whispered, ooh, pretty. <gasps> Creepy ghost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she wouldn't like she didn't return to that cell house for years. Like, yeah. Wow, so. that's yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, they do that as a living. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. is that like a scary thing for her, or is she like, yes, like that's what what she goes for? I mean, that's I think a little of both. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We lived in a in a haunted house in North okay. Carolina. I'm sorry, he doesn't agree with me. <laughs> he thinks there's a reason for everything that happened, uh-huh. but. So, yeah, off record, maybe I'll talk to you. It's, yeah. yeah. I'm very much in the vein of like, oh, this weird thing happened. There's easily an explanation for it. Like, I yeah. really, I have to find a logical explanation or else I will like lose my mind and never yeah. come back. Well, I just lost my mind and we moved out of the yeah, house. Yep, yeah, that's, that's, that's my tech. Awesome. All right. So deep purple. <sighs> yeah. yeah. So strange. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Awesome. What else do you got? Yeah. So in two house, the one across from, from three house, that was built in 1911, and they didn't have plumbing, so it was just what they call honey buckets there. So the first 50 years of the prison, it's no plumbing. There's poor ventilation. It's just horrible conditions when you're in those cells, especially during the summer. You get 110, 120 degrees up in those top tiers. And there was a prisoner who was in for burglary, and he had robbed this place called the Golden Rule, but he did it with some buddies during the winter. And the police literally followed their tracks in the snow to their house and arrested them and and essentially stuck their feet back in those snow tracks and that was enough evidence along with all the loot that they had and so he comes into the institution and not long after becomes very despondent and dives from the the fourth tier into the pavement below and he survived oh Oh, and so he is in the infirmary he's getting you know taken care of and he applies for a pardon and Warden says, yep, we can pardon you, but you have to leave, leave the United States. You have to learn return to Mexico. And so he's about a month before his, his pardon, his release, he's actually sent back to his cell. And while he's standing, uh, he, he actually tells a, a partner of his, here, take my watch. It's like his only belonging. Take it. I think I'm going to lose it. And his friend was like, what are you talking about? And later that morning, this fellow, his name was Ignacio, took a paring knife and cut his own throat and bled to death. In his cell. He did not want to go to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to leave. Yeah. And we've had in two house, we've had whole investigation teams who've seen a figure looking down at them, like re- leaning over the edge, looking down at them. And as soon as you flash a light, it disappears sort of thing. And that, that is like a super common thing that a lot of people see. Mm. <laughs> what a weird place to work. Right. <laughs> I keep thinking I know. weird place. It, uh, it is, yeah. But, you know, I always tell people, like, the ghost stories, that's that's kind of scary. But the actual stories of the people who are incarcerated, the darker ones are like, man, those are mm-hmm. those are scary. Those are really dark. And well, I, and I'd love to hear some, if, you, if you have some favorites. I mean, obviously, paranormal is fun and sexy to talk about. <laughs> but, you know, the, what's really interesting is the people and, like, the stories. 
And that's why you have a podcast. But I'd love to hear some of the stories that really have affected you or that that you think people would like to hear about. Yeah, so I just recently um, did, do you know when the um, 13 Cells stuff is going to come out? Do you know when all that's going to be done? Uh, the, 32 Cells? Sorry. Or no, 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 sorry, the movies. Oh, 13 Stories. Stories, sorry. In September. I okay, so a little bit before this. So, um, we, there was a, there's a big movie project that, that, uh, they've set up where they sort of give local filmmakers different stories from the penitentiary. And so recently I was just interviewed for our youngest female inmate. She was 15 years old. Um, so her name is Alwilda Reams and she, um, and her father were living in Montana and, um, she met this, uh, this guy, he was, I think uh, almost 10 years older than her and they like fell in love and she had, I think a lot of um, issues connecting with people. So her mother left when she was like 18 months old, wanted nothing to do with her growing up. And she actually ended up living with her father's sister, her aunt uh, in South Dakota. And she just never, never really connected with anyone. And she actually played with dolls and would actually have sort of an attachment with dolls her whole life because of this, these attachment issues. And so she met this, this guy, um, and fell in love first love she's 14 years old and um her father gets in a little bit of trouble um he actually gets accused of um, indecent exposure and the issue was that they lived in this tiny little shack it didn't have any restrooms um and they didn't even have an outhouse and so he just kind of relieved himself in like a field and a bus driver saw him and turned him in and it, the charges were eventually dropped but he kind of was maybe in a little bit of trouble and there's some question as to if he had money he said he had um like twenty six hundred dollars worth of stock in a mine in montana he also said he had about six hundred dollars which i think if i did the math right it was about thirty. $36,000 he just had sort of in stock and in the bank. And so this this boyfriend um, kind of is getting in all Wilda's ear of, well, he's not letting us get married because she's 14 years old. And, um, you know, maybe we should do something about that. And um, for a while he was like, well, maybe we should run to Canada. Maybe that's the best option. They eventually, um, he convinces the dad, like, let's go find work in Oregon. Maybe there's some better work in Oregon. And um, so there's some question as to if the, it's motivated by money on his part, on the, the boyfriend's part. Why can I not remember his name? I said it 800 times. Yeah. Shoot. I should know this. There's so many details and so many names. So I apologize. This is not as like polished as it should be. But um, so basically they start off between months. They start to take off from Oregon from Montana and I in in Idaho. They decide like this is where we're going to get rid of of the father of um, Leroy was his uh, the father's name. So um, they are in they're near Craters of the Moon. Uh, supposedly in one of the caves of Craters of the Moon, he goes to sort of hit him over the head, decides not to do it. So um, they stop um, in a little town and at Alwilda and the boyfriend start talking. They say, okay, this is this is where we're gonna do it, is in this area. Um, and so they, they weren't staying in hotels. They would literally just pull over to the side of the road and sleep in the car overnight. And so they stop, the dad falls asleep and the boyfriend says, okay, this is time. So he gets, gets out of the car, goes around to the driver's side and opens that little triangle ventilator window and sticks a gun through and basically is pointing it at the dad's head. Alwilda, who was sitting next to her dad ends up sort of getting underneath the steering wheel in case like the bullet ricocheted it wouldn't hit her and she said she was holding her dad's shoulder up basically keeping him upright she said i didn't need to keep him upright i just like didn't didn't know what else to do and so the boyfriend fires a shot kills the dad 
And um, so they they cover the body with canvas and they start driving. The plan is just somewhere along the route, we'll just dump him somewhere. They had brought her pet dog. His name was Pooch. They brought Pooch with him. And there's a dead body in the car. So the, the dog is freaking out. And also, like, there's been this loud gunshot. There's just this is not a positive situation for anyone. So the dog yeah, is like no. <laughs> freaking out. And so they say like, we probably should do something about the dog. So the dog doesn't give us away. So um, the boyfriend takes the dog out ironically where she can't wear all wilda can't see it like there was he was like i wouldn't do that to her but it's like she, you just killed her father directly in front of her face but like okay so um ends up beating the dog to death with like an automobile jack rod so beats the dog they just leave it there then they drive into um near uh, did they not have another bullet <laughs> i will so that's the thing is that the authorities asked Alwilda, like, why didn't they shoot it? And he was like, oh, he wouldn't do that to the dog. Like, so there was some, I don't know why they just, like, they thought that maybe shooting was worse than beating it to death. I don't know. Like, she made it seem that, like, that was the logical choice. Like, we didn't want to, I don't, it made, it makes zero sense. But, you know, that was That's what of, I'm going to do in the future. Like, when I do something erratic, I'm just going to say, well, of course I did it this way. You're the dumb one yeah, for not getting it. Duh can't shoot a dog but i can beat it with a tire iron and that's I, apparently that's better so you know huh. <laughs> causing it so much more pain and anguish huh. I, I don't know so um so they end up dumping the body um sort of near sun valley in um what is that county i should have lane thank you um so their crime actually occurred over sort of three different jurisdictions jerome blaine and um jerome county and so um the crime actually occurred in Jerome. They dumped the body in like this gravel pile and sort of half covered it up. Then they drive down to Magna, Utah, where the boyfriend's uh, brother lives. And um, he says like, oh, this is my wife. They're not they're not married at all. But they're sort of trying to play house. And, you know, um, then a couple days later, the brother calls him and says like, hey, Alwilda's dad's body's been found. You guys are wanted for murder. And so Alwilda, she's 14 years old. Nothing, you know, like your logic has not developed you know, 14. we have a 15 year old. Yeah. Got it. So like, <laughs> and I just, that's the thing is like being, so you're 14 years old, you can't really make connections. You are sort of hormonal as it is. You're in these stages of first love. Like there's just no logic whatsoever. So she says like, maybe what we should do is we should convince my aunt that we're innocent. And we'll do that by saying, oh, we're in Idaho Falls. We need some money because surely we wouldn't be going back to the state that this crime happened in if we were guilty. Like that's her logic behind it. And so they wire the aunt say like, we're in Idaho Falls we need some money. And the authorities obviously are tipped off to this. And so they get to Idaho Falls. They, the authorities are surrounded them when they try to go into a Western union building, they're arrested. Um, and you know, all Wilda comes in, she's 15 years old. She's the youngest inmate that we have. And she really didn't, I mean, Again, I just think it was because she was not emotionally connected to her father. Like there just was nothing really in it. She said she was always okay with that plan. That It never occurred to her that like, maybe we shouldn't do this. Like, this is my dad. He really has tried to like take care of me. There just was no remorse there. And so um, she came in for, she was in for, I think seven or eight years is all. Um, he was in for a little bit longer. She was released actually back to her mother and uh, ended up, you know, living a pretty quiet life after that. Um, her, but I, again, her obituary did say that like she sort of had this uh, attachment to dolls her whole life. So um, that's one of the more interesting and our youngest inmate, female inmate. Ooh, weird. Yeah. Huh. 
Okay. Yeah. Man, I feel like we could talk all day about some of these stories. Well, I know. That's why they have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a story that you would like to tell that kind of just kind of gets you going? Yeah. uh, This fellow named Patrick Murphy, and he had been in the Spanish-American War in the 1890s. He had served a little bit of time for like some minor grand larceny and things like that in the Oklahoma area and then came to northern Idaho, wanted to strike it big as a miner and kept striking out. And so one night he was drinking, he was friendless. He decided to rob this bar, this saloon. And so he robs it. He's haphazardly got handfuls of money and coins and starts running through the street. And this old night watchman sees him and shouts, hey, what are you doing? And Patrick pulls out a gun. He's dropping coins and stuff, and he just starts shoot shooting haphazardly at this night watchman, and, and actually strikes this like sixty five year old man and kills him. And he just runs off to the train tracks, and he passes out and basically blacks out. He wakes up the next morning, and the uh, the townspeople followed the trail of money to him, unconscious. Uh, he wakes up in the in the jail and is like, "What? What's going on? What happened?" And they're like. You don't remember mm-hmm. so they fill him in and he's like oh my gosh you know and he gets a sent sentenced to a life in prison uh at the idaho state penitentiary and oh. while he's there so that's like 1915 five years in he actually writes a book about what it's like to serve time at the old pen and he tiles it behind gray walls oh, and so we have this yeah like 50 years into the prison's history we have this great glimpse into what day-to-day life was like and kind of the prison lingo, the jargon that they had. Uh, stool pigeon, he talks about that. Somebody who's basically yellow, we call a snitch or a rat uh-huh. now. Uh, different, all kinds of different interesting lingo. And he sells this book, you know, nationally. He prints it in Ca- at Caxton in Caldwell and uh, sends it to the warden and to the governor of Idaho and all these different administrators. And, and then he's released from prison in the 30s and basically goes on a book tour selling this book that he wrote while incarcerated. And he just was very industrious. He used like what tools and equipment he had available and, you know, a, a pen and paper. And then he started to buy little items. He would take bones from the dining hall and he would chisel those into little toothpicks. He would sell toothpicks in the admin building to visitors and slowly started collecting leather and all kinds of different items and and selling these items uh, both at the prison and then locally at a cigar shop called Murphy's Cigar Shop here in downtown Boise. Not No relation or anything. He just became this little businessman while incarcerated and just changed his whole life around his did he spend his entire life there? No, no. no he let. He was. Released yeah. In the 30s. Oh, I see. I see. Thirties. Yeah. It reminds me of. Um. Did you guys ever read the uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian author that was in the um in the Russian work camps? No. He wrote like a though. this yeah. amazing um series called the Gulag Archipel- um, Archipelago. But it was all about life inside yeah. the Russian work camp. Obviously, that, that would be interesting. So but it's yeah. amazing. Uh, uh, like these stories from inside. Uh-huh. Um pretty compelling yeah to hear just the psychology of that Mm -hmm. i i happened upon like a an episode of oz once when i was flipping through my grandparents cable late one night when i wasn't supposed (laughs) to (laughs) and it and it instilled within me a fear of prison yeah like uh sky what you said earlier terrifies me we're all one choice away from landing in the penitentiary i think Mm -hmm. wait what no please no yeah i hope it's not that that's just what happened to this guy i mean he's just like i'm gonna grab some coins 
Yeah. And and to be in the penitentiary and not really remember your crime, mm-hmm. that's like a nightmare. Yeah. Because it's like any one of us, we just do stupid things. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially now that we drive weapons, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh and gosh, yeah. we ha- we're taking pictures of every... I mean, we are so close to that. Yeah. <laughs> not that that's going to make yeah. anyone feel better. But yeah, that is a little terrifying. So yeah. is he, would you say, you say he's your favorite prisoner that you've studied or? You know, he was the one that kind of really inspired me to want to do the podcast. And, you know, it's just like, I want, I want to provide that same glimpse to listeners who don't nerd out like I do. <laughs> and I can just like do all the work and you guys can hear these amazing stories like he did, you know, and uh, there, there are so, so many. I mean, there was a a fella, he was a World War II vet and just well-decorated, all kinds of medals, but he couldn't get back to normal life. And so he got in, he basically started a band of thieves and they would go in with masks on and these funny little uniforms and they would rob everything, you know, grocery stores and uh, bars and different things. And he and his partners ended up in um, the Hollywood market, historic market in downtown Boise. And the owner there wasn't going to just get robbed. He came out of the back with a butcher knife charging after him. He was going to chase him out of the store. And uh, Kenneth, his name is Kenneth Hastings, his partner, William, ended up shooting the guy. And so Kenneth and William got a life sentence and they came in. Their driver was this woman named Ruth Seconder. So this trio get incarcerated. And while they were incarcerated, Kenneth wasn't just going to sit and just twiddle his thumbs for the rest of his life. He escaped several times. And the last escape, he was actually taken to the Veterans Hospital in downtown Boise to have his teeth removed. And he had just broken his leg playing softball. The prisoners had a a softball team or baseball team called the Outlaws. And so he's got a broken leg. His teeth are removed. And he's in the car going back to the prison. And he had stolen like a scalpel at the dentist's office and stabs the deputy warden who's driving him kicks him out of the car he goes back he steals this meat truck behind him and just starts storming off up into the hills and uh he gets finally found after a day and he had just basically been hiding out up in the hills and finally the they they, so they bring him back and they send him to solitary confinement what we call siberia and it's basically eight feet long and just over three feet wide you're fed bread and water baby food like once a day and uh, oh, you have a, basically a little hole in the back corner. That's your toilet. It's an open sewer pipe, and there's a little spigot coming out of that. That's your drinking water. That's your shower water. That's everything. So you're in there for 30 days minimum. And while he was in there, he actually wrote to the warden. He said, I'd really like to speak to you. There's something going on. And so the warden, Luke Clapp, he comes in. What's what's up? And And he's like, well, the ghost of a former partner of mine is haunting me. <laughs> and he's like, what, what are you talking about? This guy, Ivan Baker, I, I met him at the federal penitentiary in Walla Walla, and we would we would wrestle. And uh, every night when I'm laying in bed, he's at the foot of my bed looking at me. He's, he's like, going to pounce on me. And he's like, well, why is he haunting you? I killed him. <laughs> so he and Ruth and this William Owen had been in southeast Idaho, and uh, Ivan wanted to make Ruth a sex worker. And Kenneth was having feelings for Ruth and so he and Ivan kind of walked out into the desert, had their own little private conversation, and Kenneth pulled out the, his gun and shot and killed him, just roughly covered him in sagebrush. And then they drove off, and he told Ruth and William, hey, uh, Ivan decided to go his own way. I uh, gave them his cut of money, and that was it. And they thought, okay, sure enough, like that's probably what happened. So 
Yeah, so Ivan was haunting him. And so the warden actually started, uh, he, he brought in some MK Ultra is going on across the world at this point. So okay. uh, sodium pentothal, truth serum, mm-hmm. is a pretty common um, thing that, that they could allow these prisoners to, to try out. So Kenneth gets a couple uh, things of truth serum injected in him, and the story's the same. Yeah, I killed my partner and uh, left him in, out in the desert, and he's haunting me. And they gave him all these lie detector tests, all these things, and his story was the same. And he said from that day on, once he finally revealed all this, Ivan stopped haunting him. And so they sent all these investigators out to the desert where they thought it was near Atomic City, and they couldn't find this body. And then in the 60s, uh, Kenneth is actually released from the prison, and he gets to go home, take care of his mom, and then he dies of alcoholism. And like a year after his death, some hunters are out in Atomic City going through the desert, and they stumble across these remains that come back to be Ivan Baker's. So, oh my gosh, that's just crazy. Crazy stories like that. And, wow. you know, often when we're we're researching this, it's like you think one thing and then you find all of this. Mm-hmm. There's just an, this amazing history behind it. And there are all these, these rabbit holes that we always talk about and all this Idaho history that we get to talk about while we uncover these stories. It's it's incredible. That's yeah, what's really so fun, fun about it. Well, two things stick out to me in my mind uh, about that story. One is people weren't working really hard to cover up dead bodies back then. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I just heard two stories of just halfway buried bodies, and they really lesson learned, well, right? You know, yeah, they didn't have HBO though. I mean, now we know. Mm. You know, you take yeah. care of the body. Yeah, that's the, one of the things that our generation has learned and understands from yeah, TV. Yeah. Yeah. Bury it deep. But the second thing is like, if I'm the warden and I go to uh, this guy's cell, and I'm like, all right, what's your what's your problem? Yeah. I'm being haunted, and yeah. Like, right, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do about it's this? prison? Yeah, <laughs> it's supposed to suck. Yeah, a yeah. lot of the authorities talk about his his decorated war status, though, like this decorated soldier. So there's a lot of respect so he earned some him. respect, exactly. Yeah. Right. He was a heavy out there, which yeah. is great. You know, it's it's nice to hear that. I actually love that he took him seriously. Like right. that's that's. You would hope that. I mean, because, again, any of us could be in that situation. And so seeing, okay, well, this is crazy. You're in solitary and or Siberia, is that what you're calling it? And and I'm telling you about a ghost, but, you know, I'm going to take that seriously. Uh That's that's a nice part of that story. I just thought of a new term for timeout for our kids. (laughs) You're going to Siberia. (laughs) Have them visit actual Siberia and the penitentiary. They'll never do anything wrong again. This is lesson week. Yeah. Yes, we're going. Yeah. Okay. Well, I honestly, we could sit here all day (laughs) talking about this. Like, and and maybe we just need to come back with some more specific stories. But um, tell us where we can find your podcast, I I guess. And uh, if people are interested in the penitentiary, how do they learn more? I mean, listen to the podcast to mm-hmm. learn more for sure. And then visit. Like, if you yeah. haven't visited, it is a really, really neat site. And we're, you know, they're doing really, really good things out there with, um, we just opened another exhibit um, that is like a, basically a graphic novel telling of all the riots that we had. Um, really? Yeah. Which, yeah. and we did a whole season of the podcast that sort of correlated with that. So you can go in, take a look at um, the amazing drawings that have been done and then listen to the podcast if you want even more details. Um, but yeah, visiting the site and taking tours. We just, I think they just finally started doing tours again. Oh, or did you not? Yeah, no. Okay. Not that was, again, I'm, coming. I'm not Hopefully. in the, the day-to-day stuff because yeah. I'm at school. But, um, you know, if you get a chance, take a tour or just ask 
anyone who's around there, like we all know the stories. We've all been trained as as tour guides. And, you know, we don't want you to leave without, you know, learning a little bit more than when you came. Yeah. Yeah. You can find the podcast on wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, yeah. yeah. Google Play, everywhere else. And and, and then you can visit our website, which is history.idaho.gov. So we are a member of the Idaho State Historical Society. So you'll see a whole tab for the old pen, and you can see research and, and catalogs of prisoners that served there and, and all of our videos and other That's items the, as well. Yeah, and if and actually, too, if you, you want to know more about specific inmates, actually all of their files are available at the archives. So you just mm-hmm. need to make an appointment with the archives and, and ask for whatever inmate you'd like to look up, and they'll pull that box for you. You can go visit the archives and sort of check out that information for yourself. That's so great. Cool. If people want to hear one podcast, they're like, okay, I want to try out this podcast. Do you have a po- do you each have a podcast episode that you're like I really liked this one that kind of gives people an an idea hmm, you're like that's a good one I'm trying to um <laughs> if you want dark like, yeah uh, I had a really dark story in the last uh, season five season finale is about a woman who uh, essentially killed her foster child by putting a chain around her neck. It's very dark. Um, dark. Our first, first and last episodes are usually of each season are like our big heavy hitters. So Mm -hmm. there'll be like really intense stories. And then for me, especially Anthony gets to like pick and choose all like the cool stories because he has 13,000 men to choose from. So he'll be like, so this person, you know, spoke like he made a whip for the queen of England and like (laughs) sent it to her. And I'm like, so my woman forged a check and, Uh you know, but there's still stories worth telling. So the middle you'll get, um, sometimes you'll get really exciting stuff and, you know, sometimes you'll get forgery, but, um, I'd say start with first and last of every season. You'll get some good heavy hitting. And if you're interested, then then dive deeper. And mm-hmm. yeah. And and we kind of sugarcoat yeah. Idaho history with everything, too. So you'll mm-hmm. you'll fun. learn a little tidbits about whatever city or town or uh, county that we're discussing. Mm-hmm. So which is fun. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. I mean, I love <laughs> content like that. That's that's really helpful and cool. And I love that somebody is taking these stories and keeping them alive. I think that's just so important. And uh, so I appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys coming here. This is so fun. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. yeah. And maybe we'll have to head over to the penitentiary and give people like a live tour. I think that'd Absolutely. be really fun. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be so fun. All right. Thanks guys. Thank, Thank you. you. The Boise Bubble podcast is sponsored by Volkswagen of Boise. Interested in buying a Volkswagen in the Treasure Valley? Head to www.volkswagenofboise.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.